So, um, the way we do things in Nishma is we, we come up with topics and then we figure out what, what, what's going to happen with that topic. Um, so, tefillah is like a, it's, it's such a big animal. Um, there's so many ways we could talk about tefillah. And even within tefillah and parenting, there's really just uh, a lot of different angles we took. So, I tried to think about what would be um, a good way for us to begin the conversation around tefillah. Um, and really, there's three things I'd like to try to do tonight. Um, the first is to talk about one introductory perspective. Do you want to do any more? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one introductory perspective is the relationship between tefillah and Torah. Just to give a little bit of perspective on tefillah, um, is really to talk about uh, that relationship between those two ideas. The second is to pick a little bit of text from the Sidur and to go through the process of what it means to learn tefillah, right? We call that bi'ur tefillah, to try to understand the words in the Sidur a little bit better, a little bit more deeply, I should say, and sprinkled throughout and at the end, maybe some really focused ideas around parenting in tefillah, what it means, what is our responsibility in terms of how we speak to our children uh, about tefillah. And so we'll begin with the first, Torah and tefillah. So... Torah and tefillah uh, obviously are pillars, right? They're the foundation of our Jewish experience. When we talk about what it means to be uh, a functional Jew, we often talk about those two elements. There's the keeping of Torah and the prayers and the tefillah. And as you go a little bit more deeply into each one of them, you pick up on the fact that there's almost a perfectly contrasting relationship between them. They're almost exactly opposite um, in their identity. Okay, so let's, let's begin with Torah. So the first source points out a pasuk that we actually all just read uh, about a week ago. And that is that the, the idea of Torah is, first of all, Torah tzivalanu. Right? What does that mean, tziva? We were commanded Torah. Torah is something objective. Right? Part of the essence of the Torah is that it came from Shemaim, it came from Hashem, and by definition that means it's unchanging. I'm not allowed to change a sentence not a word, not a letter, right? My goal in Torah is to actually understand, or do my best, I should say, to understand and appreciate the Word of God and adjust my life to that agenda, right? My agenda is to understand the Torah as it's written, right? And to understand the messages of Hashem as they're written. Tefillah is what's called min ha'adam, Right? It's, it's contrasting from Mina Shamayim. Mina Adam, what does that mean, Mina Adam? Nowhere in the Torah does it tell us what to daven, how to daven, where, when. It never says that anywhere in the Torah itself. Right? Chazal came later, the rabbis came later and started to give us halachot for how to do all these things. But in fact, we see many, many examples throughout Tanakh of tefillah, and not one of them sounds similar to the other. Right? In the actual conception of the relationship between us and Hashem, right? Hashem is the giver or the recipient of Torah, right? Is Hashem the one who gave Torah or is he the receiver of Torah? He's the giver. We're the recipients. When it comes to tefillah, it's exactly the opposite. Who's the giver and who's the recipient? Right? We say every day in Shemona source number two. What do we say every day in Shemona Shema Koleinu. We say, Kabel berachamim uvratzon et What does it mean, Kabel? Who's the recipient? Hashem, you receive our prayers. We are the creators of our own tefillah. We're the ones who sit here and think about 
our message and what's deeply found in our hearts. And we're asking Hashem, you be the recipient, right? You're on the other side, the inverse relationship, right? And so we are constantly in this place of creating. I think maybe that's the first tip uh, that I would think about as a parent. How do we talk to our children about tefillah? Is it a live conversation? Do we talk to them about, wait, there's something really big on your heart right now. It's sitting heavy. Have you spoken to Hashem about this? Right? Do we think about talking to Hashem about the things that matter? That's a relationship, right? I would never think something important in my life. I can't imagine, even forget it, whether I spoke to my wife about it, but how long it would take for that. It would be right away. Right? This is something that's important to me. It's meaningful. So I'm going to call my wife. I want to talk, I want to talk about this. So, so we have to get our children used to from a young age. This is important. Maybe something that's important to you. It's, it's meaningful. It's thoughtful. It, it carries a lot of weight. Have you spoken to Hashem about it? Right? That's, that's a very big piece. And again, I'll emphasize, the Torah itself does not constrict us. The Torah itself does not say, ah, oh, you, you know, you got to dive in, and when you dive in, you got to shuckle really hard. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say whether it should be long or short. There's a story in the Gemara of Rabbi Eliezer and his students. And his students uh, were praying one day in the Beit Midrash, and the Chazan davened a very long Shmonaser. Very, very long. And so they went, they went to complain to Rabbi Eliezer. They said, what is this? Because they called him an Alchan. We're from the word Aloch. He davened for so long. Is this acceptable? It could be. So Rabbi Eliezer looked at the students, and he said, and how long did Moshe Rabbeinu go up to Davin in Shemaim on the Har? 40 days and 40 nights. Was he that long? It wasn't so long, right? Not, not as bad as Moshe. He said, oh, we took Musar. Rabbi Rabbi Eliezer is telling us we all have to Davin a little bit longer. We have to pray a little bit longer. So they began to pray longer and they began to elongate their Shemonaser. And then a few months later, Chazan goes up. Chik chak. He went through Shemonaser. It was very quick. Said, is the katzlan right? What, what's going on here? So they went out to Rabbi Eliezer. They said, what's what, what's going on here? Is the katzlan? And Rabbi Eliezer looked at them and he said, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was praying for his sister Miriam, said, Erna lefanala. Five words. Was he that short? Is he that quick? So he said, Oh, Rabbi Eliezer is teaching a very important thing here. Tefillah. There's no prescription. There's going to be days that this is what's in your heart. And tomorrow, it's going to be something else in your heart. The key is that it's coming from the heart. The key is karov Hashem lechor koav, lechor Hashem yikru ve'emet. Right? He listens. It's got to be coming from a very real place, from an amiti place. And I think maybe that's another tip. To put, meaning the message to the children is it's got to come from an amiti place. The more real, the more deep, the more amiti. It could be the more truthful it could be to yourself. The more you get into yourself and you say, I need to talk to Hashem for real, the more He's listening. And that's what He's telling us. I want to listen. Talk to me for real. Not because, you know, Flatbush begins at 7.45 and you got to bring me this and you got to be on time and attendance and you got to open, you got to look like the Siddur is open. No, no, no. Come on, that's the worst. Sometimes I say the opposite. I tell my kids, the only day you're really praying is Sunday. It's the only day that you're really praying, right? Because I want, I want to flip it with my kids at home. I want to say to them, Okay, I'm sure you're praying every day in school. I'm sure that's happening every day. I'm sure you have a lot of kavanah. But there's only one day when nobody's telling you what to do. There's only one day where it's just you and Hashem and nobody else. What an opportunity. What an opportunity for a real relationship. What an opportunity to say, Hashem, it's just you and me. That's it. It's just us here. That's a real relationship. That's when I get to have a real report card. That's when I get to really know. And then there's actually also a very related relationship between Torah and Tzvila. 
multiple times in Nevi'im and in Ketuvim, Hashem tells us, you want me to listen? The more you listen, right, like any good relationship, the more you listen to my Torah, the more I listen to your tefillah. Right? There's a very, in Sefer Mishle, you'll see in source, maybe skip a little bit, it's on the top of the next page, it says, Mesil ozno mishmoa Torah, gam tefilato to'eva. Mesil ozno, meaning a person who removes his ear, mishmoa Torah, from listening to Torah, gam tefilato to'eva is tefilah, to'eva is not a nice word. Right? It's, it's a disgrace, it's an abomination. What does that mean? What kind of relationship is this? You're not committed to me? Right? What kind, of, what kind of relationship is it when one side is not committed to the other, but you want me to listen to everything you have to say? That's insincere. It's ingenuine. It's not real. So there's also, I think, a very important message here, which is if you really see it as a relationship between you and Hashem, right? It's not a Santa Claus relationship. We're not just sitting here with a list of things. No accountability. We're just give me, give me, give me. That's not the idea of tefillah. The idea of tefillah is, it's real. It's a relationship. Maybe I'm not always carrying my weight, but even that I want to talk to you about Hashem. I want to talk about that with you. I struggled. I woke up this morning. I said to myself I was going to speak less Lashon Hara, and suddenly before I knew it, it was lunchtime, and we're talking Lashon Hara again. Right? Like, it's not easy, but I want to talk to you about it, Hashem. That's very important, to keep that live communication, that live discussion um, is, is very, very important. So... You know, a few of the pieces that we were saying is, again, keep in mind that in its core, in its essence, the Torah did not delineate very strict rules around tefillah because it's really a creative space for us. In fact, in the Shulchan Aruch, there's a commentary that Magen Abraham says, you know, uh, a mother who has, right, there's a mother, because you know, there's some people in the world that really have work. There's a mother has so much on her plate. She has the kids to get them out in the morning. She's got to wake up. She's got meals. She's got to set them up to go. Sometimes she has to go to work herself. When exactly is she supposed to find time to pray, to talk into Hashem? It's not, it's not possible. It's not about, he says, what should she do? He said, on the way out of the house, as she's running out, she can put her hand on the mezuzah and say one thing to Hashem. That's what he says. That counts as tefillah. She's just, why? Because what's the core? Just stop for a second and say something, but say something real. Say something amiti. Right? He has a construction. Some people say she should say Shema, and some people say she should say Baruch Hashem Kavad Machuta. Okay, so there's opinions on what that should be and what it's going to stimulate. But his point is, you say something. Right? But it's different. It's not constricted by, ah, but you need a Shmonasra, and you need a Yishtabach, and you need Baruch Shema, and you need Shema. No, that's not, that's not what's necessary. What's necessary, I actually was reading a beautiful shoot about soldiers in the army, in the Israeli army. This is very common. They ask rabbis all the time that. I'm a mefaked. We're about to go out into, into the field. I've got 30 soldiers. I've got so many things I'm going to think. How am I? So, we, we say you're a talud, patul minat filah. Somebody who has all these things on their mind, they can't possibly be thinking about filah. And yet, at those very moments in life when we've got all that, that's sometimes when we want to turn to Hashem. Like, that's what's sitting on. I'll, I'll, maybe it's just a side story. There's a, a, a very famous rabbi in Israel. His name is Rav Yosef Tzvirimon. And he. Um, he said something to me that I never forgot. He said he was sitting with a rabbi. He's a rabbi from Israel. He's a very, very uh, well-known rabbi in Israel. Um, he comes to America a few times a year. And he said, I'm sitting with a rabbi in New Jersey. And he said, you know, he's, he's known for his WhatsApp threads that he has with, some of them are with politicians, some of them are with soldiers, some of them. So he has one with like, uh, uh, like generals in the army. 
And he was showing him, he was getting this text from somebody who was about to go into tanks for two weeks before, uh, before they were going into a special mission. And he's wondering whether he could bring his tefillin into the tank. Because, why? Because in the tank, unfortunately, sometimes you can't come out for days, so they have to, they have to go to the bathroom in the tank. And you can't have your tefillin out where somebody's exposed to defecation, to, to that type of impurity. <clears throat> so he's, he's wondering what he's supposed to do with his tefillin. He's about to go in for this undisclosed amount of time. He doesn't know, can I bring my tefillin in? So the rabbi who's sitting next to him uh, from the congregation says, well, what's the question? Of course he's patur mina tefillah. Of course he's exempt from prayer. So everyone stopped and he looked at me and says, I've gotten hundreds of texts from soldiers in battle. Not once were they looking to get out of tefillah. <laughs> right? Like that's not what they're... They're telling me, Rabbi, figure out how to get me into tefillah. Like, figure out how to make this possible for me to bring my tefillin into the tank. That's what I need from you right now. Right? That's the relationship. It's real. It's authentic. I don't know what it's going to look like today or tomorrow. Uh, yesterday, there was a very famous Holocaust survivor that passed away. I was reading about him this morning. Just so inspiring, the stories about the operation that they put together to go under the bunk for two minutes every morning, at 3 a.m. when everybody's sleeping, to put on tefillin for two minutes. The sacrifice. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But if I have a chance to put on tefillin, I'm going to sac... Look at that. You just see it. It's, it's a different level of sacrifice. It's a different level of commitment. It's a real relationship. And so that's, I think, a big part of, I would say, parenting tip number three, right? Um, like anything in our homes, our children are looking at our actions more than our words, right? Our actions speak louder than our words. They're seeing what sacrifice exists in our home. Um, and they see what's part of our normal, like, what do we do? So actually, I'd like to say a little shebach here, you know? I've, I've lived in a lot of different communities, and I think, you know, even the community is aware of this, but you don't take it for granted. This community values tefillah a lot, uh, especially re- relative to other communities. I'd say that we really place the Beit Knesset at the top of our value system. That says a lot. That's why our, our students see that and, and like the tefillah and come in and respect the tefillah and show kabbalah the tefillah. It's not something to take for granted. And with that, we also know that we could do better. Right? We also know that we can elevate that in our life, and they're watching to see that sacrifice. I see the students who I could tell are taking their tefillin, and it's really important to them to pray on Sunday. I see the ones who go on vacation, they say, ah, oh, I, I love praying with my father on, on vacations. You know, even if there's no Chabad around, but we pray, we don't miss it, we go, we like to sit on the porch. There's so many examples, they, they talk about it. Why? Because the Abba, he can't even think about it. It's, it's important, we talk about tefillin all the time, this is really important to us. So they, you didn't say it, you didn't give them some speech or musar, but they saw what was important to you, and that's how they learned right away. This is, this is important, this is what we do, right? We, we pray. So that's, that's another very, very important parenting tool, that whatever we talk about, whatever we do, and we'll, we'll maybe come back to that at the end, um, they're going to absorb uh, very organically. Um, I'm going to stop here for a second before we go into the text to ask if there's any supposed to be a discussion. <laughs> this is, uh, so, so before we go into a little textual study, any, any questions about what was said until now? Any feedback, any thoughts, reflections? My rabbi used to say that he's not going on until he got a question. <laughs> okay. I'll say this, please don't hesitate. You can stop, but you don't have to wait for me to stop for questions. Uh, please interrupt if 
there's anything um, you'd like to share. Okay. So go a little bit into the, into the text of the Sidur. And this is, uh, I don't know, everybody's got the things in Torah and Tzvilah that they love to learn. I, I have a, when I get to learn the Sidur, it's like uh, one of my favorite things uh, to do. It has a direct impact. Um, I think of Tzvilah often as, um, as like a phone battery. Right? There's a phone battery. Because when I wake up, you know, you ever see these kids that have like clinical FOMO right now? Like they wake up at sixty percent, they don't know they're looking for a charger, like if they're looking for it, right? So that's a little bit like for for us. Like we wake up in the day, like I didn't I didn't dive in yet, you know, and like you got to feel a little bit of that that gaping hole inside, right? That until I t- get to talk to God, until I get to start uh, the tefillah, I'm not charged yet. I'm not charged yet, and, and so the tefillah charges you, right? It charges you for the day. And, has this amazing thing where as the battery starts to, to wane, uh, there's another tefillah waiting, right? <laughs> and there's mincha is just at the right time. And our feet's right at, right at the right time. It's the chokhmah, the, the wisdom of our, of our rabbis is, is special. So diving in to the beginning of the Sidur. So I've said this before, but, but it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat this. And I apologize if anybody's heard me say this because it's so pertinent to the beginning of the Sidur. And that is that in halacha, the most important book we have in Halakha that we all use is called the Shulchan Aruch. At the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, you see almost an obsession with this idea of firsts, right? Everything, everything first they want to talk about. What are the first thought that you have in the morning? What are the first words that come out of your mouth? What's your first action? Your first beged is tzitzit. Your first, put in your right hand into the shirt before your left hand. Your leg, your this. Your first shoe. What first shoe goes on? Shoelace. It doesn't end. It's like... Everything, it's, it's a real obsession. Like, what is first? And, and I, didn't, I really didn't understand this for a long time. I, bothered me. I, I just, you know, you get taught things, and as a child, you just do. But I never took a step back to say, why is this so important? Why are first so important? And I shared um, uh, sometime last year that I had this amazing moment. My grandfather um, was somebody who was very dedicated to his garden uh, in Israel. He was a gardener. And uh, I remember when he would take us out, he had a, a very large garden, and he'd take us out, and once he was, he was running to see his etrog tree. He had multiple etrog trees, these are <clears throat> Yemenite etrog trees, so this extra special, these huge, like, watermelons. Um, and he, uh, I remember he was looking at the first etrog that was just budding, that was coming out. And he was really trying to, like, watch it every day to see what was happening in this first etrog that came out. So I said to him, Saba, you're going to have Bli Ayn going to have 100 etrogim coming out of this tree. Right? Like, why is this first one so important to you? They're all, they're all going to be important. What's, what's so big to a farmer about a first fruit? And that's the value. His answer was the value, um, I believe, of these halachot. And he said, the first one tells you it's an indicator of sorts. What kind of tree are you going to have? You want to work so hard to plant this tree, to grow this, to harvest it, to do all the things you did, to, especially in a drug tree, it takes almost 10 years till it comes into fruition. You're waiting so much that first, if it's a grapefruit, if it's a great etrog, if it's fruitful, if it's juicy, if it has a good klipa, then you know that the rest of the fruits on this tree are going to be great. And if, God forbid, it's not, then you know you have, you have uh, unfortunately, not a great fruit-bearing tree. And that's what Chazal are telling us, right? The way you start your day, the way you start anything, you're right, you're going to have the rest of your day. You have the chance to do many differences. But the way that you start is an, indi- excuse me, is an indicator for the rest of the day. What kind of day am I going to have? Right? If you, if you wake up in the morning and you hear your alarm and he's saying, ah, not another day, right? Then you're going to have an ah kind of day, right? That's, the, that's, the, that's where you've started your day at. 
The Chazal say, no, you're going to start off your day, and we're even going to carefully construct this that Hashem's name is not in it, so that it's not just the first word that you're saying, but it's the first thought that you have. And the word is modeh, right? Modeh. So modeh, we know, means thank you. What a powerful way to start my day. The first thought that I have is gratitude towards Hashem. That's a very powerful thought. We could spend, honestly, over an hour just talking about this concept. But maybe just two quick ideas about gratitude. First of all, Rav Kuk asks a very powerful question. He says, hold on, modani, that's not how we speak in Hebrew. When I say I'm going somewhere, what do we say? Holech ani or ani holech? Let's say I'm eating. Ani ocher or ocher ani? Ani ocher. So we should say ani mode. He says, God forbid, should a Jew ever say ani as his first word of the day? God forbid, should the first word of our day be I, right? As most relevant in the I generation, right? Right, but, but Rav Kook saying, modeh has to be your first word, even though it's not grammatically the most appropriate, but we would never put any first. Why modeh? Because when I say thank you, I'm doing a few things. First of all, usually you think of the word thank you as a response to something, right? You did me a favor, so I'm going to say thank you. So it's a little funny to say your first thing should be thank you. Usually it's in response to... So first of all, I'm, I'm recognizing that the very existence that I have in this world is already a response, right? I'm already recognizing that I am a response to his creation. But but Quick says even a little bit deeper than that. He says, you're choosing to have a perspective on the world. You're a commentary now, right? You're a parshan. When you say thank you to somebody... You're not just saying thank you, you're saying another word. You know what, uh, what else mode means? Admit. Sorry? Admit. 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 Right? I'm admitting something. Why? Why? What's the relationship between those two words? Because when I say thank you to somebody else, I'm admitting that they are a part of whatever it is that's going on. I'm not the only person in the picture. Right? So I'm saying thank you to Hashem. I'm saying, I am recognizing now. Right? I'm recognizing by saying thank you. I'm admitting that you are at the very least a part of this picture and, and ultimately, of course, we're saying you are the picture. Right? But when I say modem, I'm also saying I'm also ascribing an intention to the other person. What does that mean? If, um, if there's a, an inventor that exists in China and he innovated this new pacifier, you know, it, like you know, the, 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 the lip of the pacifier is a little bit different. And this eventually reached the CVS next to my home. And I found this and it really changed the way my child sleeps at night. And really great. Is my first thought that I'm going to now find this innovator and trying to say thank you? Probably not. That's not how we think why. But he did something that, was, that impacted me in such a great way. But at the end of the day, we really don't think of it that way because his intention was not personalized. Right? He wasn't thinking, had he done it, thinking about Yehel Tzaidi and his baby. Of course, I'd call him and I would say it, but, but I don't think that. So when, when I say thank you, I'm also, and this is a big chidush of uh, Rav Chaim Moshe Vali, one of the big tamidei the Ramchal, of Moshe Chaim Lutzato. He says, when you say thank you, you're ascribing intention. I'm saying, Hashem, this isn't just happenstance. You happen to have this world, and I've gotten some of those blessings along the way, and okay, that's part of the world. You're saying, no, Hashem, you've done these amazing things for me. You love me, right? And I need to thank you for that. We have a very personal relationship. And I need to recognize, by saying thank you, I'm saying, whoa, I can't even, I'm overwhelmed with the blessings that you've given me and my family. 
I'm overwhelmed with what you give me on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. I need to take, I can't even begin my day without first saying thank you for what you've given me personally. On top of that, it's that, that perspective of how we look at the world. I'm now looking towards Hashem, and how am I referring to Hashem? What's the first to'ar, the first description you give Hashem? He's a lot of names. But what's the first one we say? Of all the names I could have given, why am I starting off with Melech? I just spent all of Rosh Hashanah talking about this. Why Melech? Because as soon as I see that it's coming from the king, then by recognizing that there's a king, then I also recognize that there's a kingdom. And if there's a kingdom, then I see that I'm part of this kingdom. And I'm reminded that I have a purpose in this world. He has a role for me in this kingdom. And so my very first thought after recognizing that he's, he's put me here is I have a role. I have a purpose. I'm part of this whole malchut. And I end off by saying, Rabba I'm recognizing that Hashem, you've given me this tremendous purpose. I'm a parent. I'm a partner. I have a Beit Knesset. I have my own Avodah that I'm doing. I have Chesed that I'm doing. I'm doing all these important things. You have this important one. I'm thinking about all this at the start of my day. And I'm asking Hashem, please, please sanctify my day that I should be servicing my purpose in a meaningful way. <clears throat> and you believe in me? Now remember, a lot of kids often think, emunah, oh, emunah is one way, I believe in Hashem. No, we start off our day not talking about our emunah and Hashem, we talk about his, his emunah and us. That's the first thing we say in the beginning of our day. You believe in me, you gave me a role in this kingdom. You believe in it. Wow, thank you. Right, what a way to start the day. What a way to begin, these are all my thoughts at the beginning of the day. Wait, I'm going to do a lot of actions today. I'm going to be teaching children. I'm going to be molding and shaping their lives and their thoughts. Wait, so the first action maybe is to think, I have to do netilat yadayim. Hashem, I want to make sure that these hands, they're sanctified for your purpose, for your agenda, not mine. Please make sure that I don't shift your agenda to become mine. Because I very often do that. Right? I've got my own agendas. But, but I want to make sure, please keep them pure for your work, that I should speak to my children in a very careful way, that I should be thinking about the way that they are interacting with their friends and their peers and their siblings and, how am I going to do all that? Hashem, please give me the koach. Give me the fortitude. Give me the kavanot that I should be able to do that. And so then we go to Beit Knesset. What's the first thing in the Sidur that we say? At the beginning of Birkat HaShachar, we say, what's the center of our life? What should we be thinking about? What's the first? Elokai Neshama. Shanatatabi. First and foremost, what's the center? What's the most important thing in the world? The Neshama not the easiest thing to remember in our day, right? Our eyes are exposed to a lot of physicality, materialism, gashmiut, but we're saying, no, 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 the beginning of our day, before you start, let's remember what the ikar is, let's remember what the center is. It's the neshama. How am I going to develop that today? How is my neshama going to take a step forward today? How am I going to grow that? How am I going to invest in my children's neshama today? What am I going to do today? It's so hard. I wake up, I'm at work, I, I go to sleep, I'm still at work. Where in that goal, in those two goalposts am I able to also cultivate my children's neshama? Like, where does that fit? How do I commit to that? It's a big part of my purpose. Right? Where does that, where does it, we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit. And Elokai Neshama perfectly, as you're thinking about that perspective, leads you into the first two brachot. If, if you're in the Sephardi Sidur, then yes. In the Sephardi Sidur, they're a little bit later in the, in the Brachot. We get to all of them. 
right? We say, Baruch atah Hashem elokinu melech haolam, pokeach ivrim, Baruch atah Hashem elokinu melech haolam, malbish alumim. What does that mean, pokeach ivrim? What's that bracha coming to tell us? Open up our eyes, right? That's what we always say, that he didn't make us blind. So, I like that, students. Okay, that's nice that he gave us the ability to see. So, did he give us, do you have a bracha about hearing? Or about speaking? We don't have those brachot. So, why, why suddenly, why, why is the eyesight so important? So, the word ivrim means what? Blind. blind. How does the Torah refer to blind? When we say the word ivel in the Torah, can you think about examples of where we use the word ivel in the Torah? Exactly. Anything else? Right? What does that mean? What does blindness mean in the Torah? The blindness in the Torah is almost never referring to physical blindness. Right? It's almost always, wait, what are the things that distract my eyes over the course of the day? Bribery. What does bribery mean? Not just, not just actual money. But there are things that attract our eyes. Right? There are things out there that deter us. They're, they're shiny. They're sparkly. They're, they're geared towards attracting our eyes. Right? And I'm asking Hashem, this world, it's, it's full of it. It's all around me. Things that might elevate my social status. Things that might, you know, give me the things that I think will progress me in the world. They're the opposite of the neshama. Right? They take away from the neshama. Hashem, it's a battle out there. Please, Hashem, the creator of the universe, pokeach ivrim, make sure that I'm not blind today. Give me the ability to see the hearts of people. Give me the ability to see their aspirations. Give me uh, the ability to know who they are, to not judge them by this or that. I, I did a study with boys, boys today. I emphasize it. So what's the first thing you notice when somebody walks in the room? Seven out of eleven boys said their shoes. <laughs> Even if that was true when I was a kid, I would never admit it. Right? How do you say that? But it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's how they pick it up. My, my sons, my son, that nice hand, nicer hand. At least they knew what to say. <laughs> but I was watching it. Insignificant tangent. I'm watching a basketball game with my children, and they notice that at halftime the player switched his shoes. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, that's what you're watching on the court, like you know. But that's 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 a lot of the influence that we have around us, and this that's those are seemingly small examples, seemingly insignificant examples. But but really, it's part of a bigger thing. As we grow, our examples become more adult oriented. But we know there are things that draw attention away from Elokeinu Shamash and Atatabi. Right? And so our first bracha we look at Hashem is, can you, can you give me the ability to see clearly? Can you give me the ability to see the, the good in people? Can you give me the ability to see the nekudat tova in every single person so that I'm not as judgmental? So that I'm not discerning and deciphering between the physical and the gashmi and all of that? Because he's the malbish arumim. Right? Because even the concept of, of, of how we dress the world, how we cover the world, how we see the world... How are we seeing this world in a deeper, more meaningful way? How are we seeing this world with a perspective uh, that's befitting of our, you know, the word all, skin, is the same letters as the word evil, right? Evil, blindness, and the word all, skin, are that because it attracts, because that's its, its goal, right? The idea is 
that we have to be very careful. I'm asking Hashem, look, it's all around me. This is the world around me. I want to be successful. I want to be able to wake up in the morning with a lot of koch to say that I'm in your kingdom and I'm moving the world forward and I'm in my battle, in my, in my, battle, my daily struggle that I'm able to get closer to you, Hashem. That's, I took the, the exercise for a second of going through some text just to say there's a real power to talking to your kids about what we're davening. We're not going to go through all of your kotashachar. But in every one of them, you'll notice it's the same idea. Seemingly, when we learn it in, in Kita Aleph, Hashem's saying, okay, there's a brachan, something very physical, something very regular. Oh, so you can see. Oh, so you can walk. You're right, I can walk. But there's something deeper. What is your purpose today? When you're walking, meaning the idea of progressing forward, of moving forward, where are you moving toward? What are your intentions? Where are you walking towards? What are your motivations? Shelo asani goi. You're right, I was born a Jew. My mother was Jewish. Did I do anything for that? No, it's my DNA. This is what I What have you done today? What am I doing today to say, okay, but how are you expressing that? How is that identifiable in the way that I carry myself over the course of the day? What is my Jewish purpose? Right? What have I done today to decipher that Hashem gave me this beautiful blessing to be a Jew and to lead the world and to be an Orla Goyim and to be a Baal Chesed and to give tzedakah. What have I done today to do that? So when I ask Hashem, I'm not just saying, okay, thank you for making me not a Jew and not an Ebed. And a... We're saying, hold on, well, what's my role in this? There's Hashem's role. You're right. He gave me the ability to walk and he gave me the ability to see. And he gave... But I'm also asking him, you know, my part in this, I need your help too. Am I part of doing all these things with your purpose, with your intentions, with your agenda? I need a lot of help. I need a lot of support here. It's not easy. And it's a struggle, but that's what I need. So when I stop and I think about each of these brachot, I'm stopping to have a conversation. And maybe that's where I'll shift to the, to the parenting side of it a little bit. The conversation is critical. It's critical. I, I alluded to something earlier, and it's Musar that I gave myself. And I'll give it out loud again to myself. But at a certain point, we go through the routine of life, right? My father-in-law calls it the rat race, right? And you sometimes can lose perspective about your priorities, especially as it pertains to chinuch yaladim, to what it means to educate our children, right? We know that we partner with a school, Baruch Hashem, we, we pay a significant amount of money to partner with a school to educate our children. The danger is that we could think that that's the check that we're writing to do it. But really, we know that the mitzvah to raise our children is not on the teachers. It's not on the administrators. We have. We had our children, and they're ultimately our number one responsibility. There's nothing else. I can't think of a greater responsibility that we have as humans than the investment we have in our children. And yet I was maybe in the middle of Sefer Shmot, and I said to myself, I haven't done anything, anything tangible, different to deepen my relationship with my own children through Torah and Tefillah. This is like a good two and a half month span. And, you know, you, you catch yourself, you're doing everything, but we have nothing. So I said to myself, let's give myself a first agenda. And I said, 10 minutes. Can I give 10 minutes a week? And it really impacted a lot, a lot. Just to say 10 minutes a week, it could be different for different kids in your, in, in your home. But even to just say you know what, I want to have a discussion at the Shabbat table. Every week, I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes and prepare a discussion question that we're going to talk about at the table. It could be about tefillah, it could be about our relationship with Hashem, it could be about how to have something organic, how to have something sincere. 10 minutes. You know, if, if they're not old enough for discussion questions, prepare a story. 
go into stories. The younger kids, they love stories. The stories, they, they never forget them. And, and it's powerful. And they like it. Or you buy a book. You go to Eichel, he's got a book. They have lots of great story books. But something that says, I'm investing, because what we talk about is essentially what they absorb as the priorities in our own. Right? If we end up talking about the Yankees and the Knicks, and we talk about movies, or we talk about culture, all those things are great. We talk about them. But they leave saying, what are the things that are most important? Okay, they like sports, they like politics, they like this. That's great, but we all know we want them to know that tefillah is important to us, right? That's what we're there for, and yet we don't find the time to talk about it. Um, and so I'd say the first thing is talking about it is critical. Having the discussion about it is critical. And if we don't have the answer, that's amazing. What an opportunity. Let's go speak to the rabbi tomorrow at Beit Knesset. Let's go speak to whomever. Let's go ask this question. I was so inspired by somebody in my shul last week. I was sitting down and learning in the shul, and he came by and he dropped a book off in front of me. And he said, when you have a chance, read it. And it said on it, Kuntrus She'elot Beni. For his son's bar mitzvah, now a lot of people do this, they learn together, they learn to sefer together. But you know what he did, his father? He wrote a book of all of his son's questions for the Masecha that they learned. And he published the book in honor of his kid's bar mitzvah. He said, all the questions he, this kid asked over the whole Masecha that they learned, he took deliberate notes, kept them as this amazing treasure of the questions that him and his child through their learning emanated from that and he published it in a beautiful hardcover and he gave it out to everybody with such pride. These are, they called it She'elot Bini, the book of the, the questions of my child. What a powerful thing. What great Musar. To me as an Abba, I left so inspired to think how I can invest more in my children. right? How they can see that this is something uh, that's really, really important. And I think Halakha does a little bit of that too in our tefillah. I know Halakha gives us, sometimes you spend time with Halakha not just about how to behave. It's always good to push, why do you think the halacha is such? Right? When the halacha says you walk into Beit Knesset, you're not supposed to sit right at the entrance. Right? Even though sometimes we, we do that. Right? But really, you're not supposed to sit at the entrance. You're not supposed to sit in the back of the Beit Knesset. Why? Because the Kedushah is in there. You want to get into the Kedushah. You want to say, right? When we walk into Madison Square Garden, nobody's fighting to sit at the top, right? <laughs> that's just not how it works because you want, that's the action. The action's down there. It's on the court. I want to get as close to the court as possible. The Arona Kodesh is there. The Sifre Torah, the Chazan. I want to be close, right? So these are the messages. The Hacha is not just telling us, oh, it's nice to go in. The Hacha is saying, you want to impart to your child how important it is? Get into the Kedushah. Get into it. Let him sit behind the rabbi to see how he davens. Let him, let, him, let him look around. Sometimes when I'm not inspired in tefillah, I stop. I say, it's not worth it. I'm not, I'm not there. My head's not there. I stop. I look around. And we're a beautiful nation. And you're so inspired. You see all the people davening. You see all the people in their own world getting into their own hearts. And that's inspiring. It uplifts me. It helps me refocus. It helps me say, okay, thank God. What a nation I have. Right? That I'm able to use them sometimes to uplift myself. Right? And so the child gets those types of subliminal messages as well. Um, just going to look for a second. Okay. I had a story, but I, uh, I, have, I have strict rules about how long we go. <laughs> and so uh, with that, I'll say, look, uh, like we said, I think that the key pieces here are that tefillah is, is, is in a tremendous space, a tremendous space of expression, uh, a tremendous space of real, genuine, sincere connectivity. Um, and the more we can embed it to them in the younger ages, right? Uh, the younger they are, the more that we have these discussions with them, these ideas that we talk to them about, 
the sincere relationship they have with Hashem, Bezrat Hashem, will raise a generation that will uh, bring the Mashiach Tzitkenu Bimarabi Aminu. Amen. 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 If anybody has any questions, any 